Hallelujah. And uh, I'm glad you're here today. To each guest and friend, thank you for being here at the Lighthouse. I want to give a big thank you and, and along with my wife for all of the love and the support and uh, coming to the wake uh, this uh, weekend for my wife's uh, f- grandfather's funeral, for the flowers. We appreciate all of that and thank you so much during that time. That means a lot and that's one more way I love the church because I know that family is there. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. Uh, We're going to continue a a series we started last Sunday morning, some altars that you need in your life. And last week, if you, hopefully you recall, hopefully it's not been that long ago, you forget, but last week we talked about the altar of Abel. We compared it with the altar of Cain. And uh, in that time, we talked about the importance of first fruits, bringing your sacrifice first. And I want to take you a little bit farther uh, today in some altars that are very necessary in our life. The book of Genesis, uh, chapter 7, and going to, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 8, going to verse 20. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and night and day shall not cease. With the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you about the altar of worship and the altar of thanksgiving uh, today. Why don't you bow your heads and ask the word of the Lord to speak to you. Father, we thank you today. Would you allow the word of God that we delve into, whether it's read or whether we talk about it and preach about it, I ask that you would let it find root in our hearts, that God, the word of the Lord would grow, and I pray that before this day is over, that we would... Find that altar of sacrifice, of worship, and of praise, and we would give it freely to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. The I'm going to take some time to just sort of go back over the story of Noah. You know it. I hope you do at least. And uh, but, but maybe see some things that you hadn't seen before. It's very interesting as I begin to study the, the descriptions that are, that are found in the Bible about Noah. There were some similarities between uh, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, and, the, and, and being kicked out of the garden. And then uh, you have Noah, the flood, and then the coming out of the ark. And we know that sacrifices did not start with Noah. Uh, Cain and Abel are the very first parts. Uh, the first time that we see the word sacrifice or, or that understanding seen. But Noah was the first time in the Bible that we see he actually built an altar. I'm convinced that Cain and Abel built an, offer, an altar when they offered up their sacrifices, but this is the first time that we see it. If you have your Bibles, and, and I, I'm not going to read it word for word, but just so you can follow along and know that I'm in the Word of God, you could turn to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Because from... from uh, kind of Cain and Abel to Genesis chapter 6, there's a whole lot that happens. It, it goes through uh, 
hundreds of years, maybe even centuries that go by, but it's kind of a a very quick synopsis of how the world is being populated. But it it begins to happen in Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair and they took them wives as uh, of all which they chose. Now, uh, just I, I can't I can't go any further without just hoping to maybe strengthen this verse in your mind or maybe hopefully change an attitude that some people have. This is not I, I know the Bible uses the term sons of God, and there's other places that the sons of God are used, and sometimes it does refer to angels. But can I just tell you, no matter what you've ever heard teach taught, that the sons of God in this passage is not angels. The angels did not come down, whether it's fallen or not. They didn't come down and and marry humans and have crazy half angel, half human offspring that you'll that you hear other people talk about. And this term. Sons of God, it's referring to the lineage of Seth. When Adam and Eve had their children, you had Cain, you had Abel. Of course, you know the story. Cain got mad at God, and so he took it out on Abel, killed Abel. God marks Cain. Cain leaves home, and he goes kind of all by himself, and he becomes a wandering spirit. And then here's Adam and Eve, and they're they're wondering what's going to happen, and so Seth is born And Seth becomes the lineage that we find all the way through the word of God that leads us to Jesus, Mary, uh, Joseph, and Jesus. And so in this frame of mind, it's the lineage of Seth that the word of God calls the sons of God. God had, it's crazy in the word of God when you find that every time God wants to bring someone in a, in a, a closer walk with God, the devil always has a way of, of trying to show compromise. The devil always has a way of trying to get someone off track. And it was that even though it was the lineage of Seth and even though there was some promises given there, compromise came in. You find that they were forgetting the teachings of their father, Adam. They were forgetting the walk with God. And and it was going, and the Bible says in verse 5 of chapter 6, that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. I don't know if you've ever had a moment or a day where you've daydreamed, whether it was before Christmas or uh, if you're like me, it was before the opening day of deer season, and it just seems that no matter what you do, that's where your mind goes all the time. And uh, maybe it's the maybe it's the last work day before your vacation. How many of you don't get hardly any work done on days like that? Because your mind is continual on there. Well, this is the same thought, except in a lot worse case. Every imagination, every thought of man was on evil continually. Let me take you. Uh, into the New Testament. Would you go to the book of Romans? And there in Romans, would you turn to chapter 1? This is how God impressed Paul on what the world was. And so you see it in the New Testament, you see it in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1, it says uh, in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest unto them, for God has shown them. That means no man can ever claim they don't know God. 
It's, it's, it's part of their DNA. God has shown them. But from the invisible things of him from creation to the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in the Godhead, that so they are without excuse. No man can say, I don't know the presence of God. But it was because, verse 21, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things, idolatry. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the creation and, and the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use unto that which was against nature. Likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. They were filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters. They invented evil things. They were disobedient to parents. They didn't have understanding. They were covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death did not only do the same but they had pleasure in doing them that is a a just a very sad synopsis of the world and this was true in Noah's day this was true in Paul's day and it's in true in our day right now this is the world we're living in. And the Bible says, in going back to verse in, into Genesis, the Bible says that God looked on the, on the earth and this should have been his, his cre- creation. Remember, this is the, uh, man, God's own heartbeat, if you will. And he had longed for man to worship and it didn't work in the garden and he had to kick Adam and Eve out. He got a brief uh, excitement, a brief uh, glimpse of man's worship in Abel's offering. And then Cain killed him. There was, a, uh, it was an incredible lifetime of Enoch that, that God said and he walked with God. And then finally God loved Enoch and loved that righteousness so much that God took him away. He didn't die. He was translated, if you will, up into heaven. But for the most part, from Adam and Eve's fall until Noah, there wasn't very many bright spots. There was horrible things that were going on. And the Lord said it, that it repented of the Lord that he made man. That doesn't mean that God made a mistake. It's not the same repentance that you and I need to do when we sin. But it means God kind of sat back and he said, I just wonder if I ever should have made him. I just wonder if they're ever going to get there, get it right. I wonder if what I planned and hoped and dreamed would ever come to pass. It grieved God at his heart. And so the Lord said, I'm going to destroy man that I've created from the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy the man, the beast, the creeping thing, the fowls of the air. I'm going to just burn it all up. Then you have that, that, that word, but. In all of the uncleanliness, in all of the lasciviousness, in all of the, the filth and junk of the earth, the Bible says, but the Lord 
saw Noah. In fact, to use it the way the Word of God says, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. To me, it's, it's, God is constantly on a search for people in whom he can pour out his grace. He's looking for those whose heart is right. You find it in the story of Job. The Bible says that, uh, uh, and, and this does refer to the angels. The sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord. The angels are there and, and Satan, even though he was fallen, comes into the courtroom of God. And the Lord says, what have you been doing, Satan? And Satan says, well, I've been going throughout this entire land. I've been checking everybody out. And God says, have you saw, have you looked at, have you taken a glimpse at my servant Job? Because God had his eye on Job. Job, or, or rather Noah, was a just man. The Bible says perfect in his generations, not without fault. But he was doing his best to walk with God. And I wish today that you and I would be in the same boat as Noah, that we could say that God finds grace in us. And so the Lord tells Noah, he, he comes to Noah, he says, you know what, Noah, I'm, I'm done with the earth. I'm, I, I can't find anybody that is righteous. I can't find anybody that loves me except you and perhaps your family. And so I am going to ask you to do something that, that's going to take you a long time. I want you to build a boat. I know you may never have seen anything this big. I realize that, that the concept of rain and floods are something that you're not really aware of. But I want you to build it. Build it just like I tell you. It's going to have three levels. A lower level, a middle level, an upper level. And then I'm going to have you, I'm going to cause the animals to come. I want you to make sure you gather two by two of every animal. But have you noticed that, that there was that moment where he said, I want you to gather seven of the animals that are clean. And mostly that was for their own food and for the food of other things. And so Noah does that. That's in, in Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, Noah builds the ark exactly to the specifications. The, the, one of the, you, you've seen me carry my kind of floppy brown Bible uh, up, up here. It's my English Standard Version, my journal Bible that I preached a lot from last year. And uh, I guess Zane must have gotten a hold of that Bible because somewhere in youth class, because it's Zane's writing, but in the journal in, in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 7, uh, he, he has notes in there. And I don't know if it was Brother Cozart that was teaching or maybe Brother Mike or, or who, but he had wrote that it doesn't matter if no one ever listens to your witness, keep witnessing. And it's in that story of Noah. Noah did that. Noah, Noah would, would, would build the boat, his three sons, Ham, Shep, and Japheth, they would build the boat and, and in between the sawing and the, and the fixating and the making of pegs, he was telling them, you need to get ready. God's not pleased with this generation. God's not pleased with what's happening. There's going to be a moment when, when God's going to call everybody to the boat. You need to come and no one listened. Perhaps they just didn't believe. Maybe they had their own little boat that they thought they could weather any kind of a, 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 of, a, of a rain or a flood. Finally, the day came. The animals come two by two and then seven of those clean and they get them all uh, set up in their area on the, on the ark. God finally has enough and he shuts the door of the ark. For seven days, Noah and his family sit there. Nothing happens. 
I'm sure those seven days were the longest week of their life as people derided them and made fun of them. They could hear the mocking going on outside the door. But Noah stayed and finally the rain began to fall and for 40 days and 40 nights the rain fell. The Bible says the heavens opened up. Waters that were stored in the heavens had cascaded down. The the water that is under the earth, there's more water under the earth than in all of our oceans. And the, the, the earth opened up, the crust opened up, and water shot forth. And it filled all of the earth until even the highest mountain was covered. Everything that breathed air into its mouth died. For a while, perhaps Noah would have heard someone holding on. Maybe someone had gotten a rope or something and grabbed on. But after 40 days and 40 nights, there wasn't anything there. Genesis chapter 8 begins to open. And I love what it says. And I I want you to check this out because I want you to underline it in your Bible if you can. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. And God remembered Noah. I'm going to come back to that. But I want you to see two things. First off, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And second, God remembered Noah. It had been 40 days and 40 nights. It had been 150 days of just floating after the rains had stopped. And if you put those together, that's 190 days. That's well over half a year. Can you imagine half a year in a boat with no internet? No Netflix, just a lot of animals. And if I understand the way I read the Bible, it's not until later that Noah even opened a window. 190 days of hyenas and jackals and elephants and cows and horses and camels and somewhere mosquitoes and cockroaches. And everything else that we wonder why Noah and God decided to put those on the ark. 190 days of back and forth. No dramamine. Dramamine rather. Finally, the Bible says the Lord remembered Noah. Noah goes up and he opens the covering. The one, the one version says he opens the covering. Another says he opens a window. And he goes there onto the outside of the boat and he lets a raven go. And the raven circles around and he can see it and the raven comes back for there's nowhere for the raven to land. A little bit later, Noah puts out another bird and this bird, uh, it's a dove, and this bird circles and it disappears for a while. And when it comes back, it's got a freshly plucked olive leaf in its mouth signifying that at least somewhere there was a tree growing. A few days later, He sends out that dove again and this time the dove doesn't come back for it had found a safe place to land. And so it was there in Genesis chapter 8 that they stayed in that ark a few more days and then finally in the second month of the seventh and twentieth day of the month as the earth was dried that God spoke to Noah. And this is what he said, verse 16 of Genesis chapter 8. Go forth from the ark. You and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, bring forth every living thing that is with thee, all of the flesh and the fowl and the cattle of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply. 
And so Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him and every beast and creeping thing, every fowl and whatsoever creepeth on the earth after their kinds went forth from the ark. Remember that this, if ever God had ever purged the earth, this was a purge. There was nothing left except aquatic animals in the waters. If any life was ever going to be set on earth, it was contained in that wooden ark. God said, now I want you to step out. I want you to spread out. I want you to multiply. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to, to, to repopulate the earth. And so they did. I can only imagine the excitement and the happiness as Noah has come through the flood and he's come through all of that and he goes on dry ground. I can only imagine perhaps they fell to the ground and ran their fingers through the soil. They breathed the air that was now clean and crisp and all of this that they were thankful. And then finally Noah said, hold on a second. There's one thing we have to do. And Noah looked around and he found some rocks and he built an altar. And Noah went and got, and and watch what the Bible says. He went and got one of every of the clean beasts and one of every of the clean fowl, the birds. And he offered not one, not two, but multiple offerings upon that, that, that altar. The idea of an altar, the idea of a sacrifice was that it was completely, it wasn't, this wasn't a barbecue. This wasn't, I'm going to throw a a, a half a cow on the altar and we'll let the kidneys burn up and we'll keep the T-bone steaks. Remember for almost almost 200 days, Noah and his family had survived on whatever was in the ark whatever grain or whatever thing they can make. And I, I believe, and, and I, I don't know that I'm, I, I can't find this in the word of God, but this is kind of, I do believe some of those uh, animals, those seven of those unclean, that they were able to eat some of that. But re- re- regardless of that, here they are. And Noah takes it and he puts it on the altar and he sacrifices. This altar of worship and thanksgiving needs to be an altar that you put in your life. Because the one thing that I I, I scoured it, I looked through the King James, I looked through the, the English Standard Version, I looked through the New Living Translation, and nowhere can I find that God commanded or even asked for that offering. Now God was very specific when he came as far as how to build the how to build the ark. Read your Bible. It tells you to the, to the exact cubic or inch or centimeter even how it was supposed to be built. The Lord had every right and he could have put it all in there. When you get done, build an altar just this way and I want you to offer up a sacrifice. But I don't find that. Instead, I find that unasked, un, uh, uh, he wasn't made to, he was not compelled to. Noah leaves the ark. And before he does anything else, he worships and he thinks. Something incredible happened as that burnt offering began to waft up to heaven. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will no more again curse the ground. Uh, I, I will never smite. Every living thing as I've done. And while the earth remain the seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. When, when Noah knelt at that altar 
and offered things that rightfully was his. That those seven of those unclean animals that, that they were supposed to get, that was going to be his flock. That was going to be uh, how he grew his own uh, you, you know, wealth, if you will. But he kneels down and he sacrifices. And as that sweet savor goes to heaven, there's a few things that the Lord does. Number one, the Lord received it. The Bible says the Lord smelled it. That's a reception. The Lord received it. Number two, it stirred the heart of the Lord. I like it, the fact that the Lord didn't speak to Noah. The Lord wasn't speaking to angels. The Lord, it so impressed him that it just almost inadvertently, if you will. Have you ever been around the house and you're not meaning to, you're not crazy, but you ever just kind of start talking to yourself because maybe something catches you off guard or you, you, you want to say something and nobody's around and so you just kind of talk to yourself. Anybody ever done that before? You're not crazy, most of you. But to me, I kind of, and, and I, I apologize as I've worked through the sermon, I realize it's so easy to give God human qualities, and, but it's the only way I can explain it. It's the only way that I can understand it. I kind of think that God, if God could be caught off guard, this would be one of those moments. All of a sudden, up in heaven, the smoke from an altar, an offering goes and it's been a long time since the Lord has smelled something like that. Earth has been so wicked. And it catches him and he says, oh, wow, I have longed for this moment. It's, it, 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 it's, look what Noah's doing and something stirs in the heart of the Lord. And the Lord begins to make promises. He says, I will not add to the curse of the ground. Now, the ground was already cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin, but God said, I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to add to the, to, the, to, the, to the weight that we have to carry. I'm not going to purge the earth again. Uh, the seasons will not cease. And then later on in, in chapter 9, he says, I'm going to show you a rainbow, no more worldwide floods. And then he says, I want you to go be fruitful. Noah wasn't asked to sacrifice, he just did. And God responded. Listen very carefully as I, I say this. Today, you cannot make God do anything. God is sovereign. There's no committee in heaven. There, there, there's no agenda that you can present unto him that's going to change his mind. But I can tell you this, according to the word of God, you can stir his heart. You cannot change his mind. You cannot uh, change him from the course, but you can stir his heart. And the best way that you can stir his heart is to begin to sacrifice praise and thanksgiving. Stuff that you didn't have to do, but you do so. It's Mary at the feet of Jesus that brings that precious bottle of ointment kneels at his feet unasked and uninvited, cracks the seal and breaks that bottle and pours that spikenard all over the feet of Jesus. And then as she worships with tears rolling down her face, she washes his feet and dries them with, his, with her hair. And you know what? It got God's attention. God manifest in flesh. He straightened up and Judah, Judas said, ah, oh, this is such an, a waste. You could have taken that, that, 
that perfume and you could have sold it and you could have given the money to the poor. You could have given it to us and instantly God's attention is on it. And he says, shut up, Judas. You have no idea what it cost her. You have no idea what you're supposed to, what, 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 what that means to me because worship always gets his attention. Can I tell you that the, the enemy of worship is selfishness. The enemy of worship is a spirit that is not willing to give but only to keep or to take. Judas was selfish. The reason he said, Mary, you ought to sell the perfume is because Judas carried the money bag for the disciples. Judas was the treasurer of that group. And so Judas knew that if Mary would have sold that, how much money it would have been, and it would have been in his pocket, his bag. But I will tell you today, if the enemy of worship is selfishness, then the way to overcome selfishness is to worship is to give generously without being asked. And it's that unselfish, generous worship that gets the attention of God. And I will propose to you today that Noah was a worshiper not after the flood. He was a worshiper before the flood. Which is why when God began to look over the earth and God began to look at all of the unrighteousness and debauchery that was there, the one that got his attention was the one that came with sacrifices. The Bible says he was righteous. He worshipped before the storm. He worshipped during the storm. And he worshipped after. There's those three things that I see, and I, I, want, I want you to get across with this. Before the flood, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. During the flood, Noah was remembered by God. And after the flood, Noah was blessed by God. I find three rainbows in Scripture that I can find that are mentioned. The first one is Noah's rainbow, and that's the rainbow after the storm in Ezekiel you find in Ezekiel chapter 1 when he sees the vision of God, it talks about a rainbow that surrounded the, the, the vision of God and, the, and the, uh, the throne of God. And, that's the, and there was a storm happening. That's a during the storm rainbow. And then in the book of, of John chapter uh, 21, I believe, he sees the rainbow before the storm of God's judgment. As I was going through this and I, I was sitting kind of in the quiet this morning when it was dark, wasn't even happening, the kids, my wife, they were still asleep. And, and I kept going back. I had my Bible on the table and then later on on my lap and I kept going back to that, that phrase there where it says, and the Lord remembered Noah. And the Lord remembered Noah. And I kept coming back to it. And I knew, I knew that, that I was missing something. Why? Why? Why am I keep coming back to that? I just kept reading it. And finally, in the stillness of this morning, I felt the Lord nudge me. And he said, Noah was remembered by me during the flood because of the worship he did before the flood. So I ask you a question today. 
Is your worship poignant enough to make God remember you in the storm? Or has it been so long since you truly made an altar of worship, praise, and thanksgiving? That it's been so long, the Lord doesn't even remember what it's like. And again, I realize I'm putting very human limits on God. And, 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 and I, I hate that sometimes because I understand God doesn't forget anything except our sin. But just hang with me for a moment. There are people in your life that if they don't show up, you'll forget about them. Because there's no contact. There's no connection. They can disappear from your Facebook feed and you'd never miss them because they're never on your Facebook feed. There's people in your life that they've not talked to you in so many years, you've forgotten them. I wonder if your worship makes God remember you or if it's been so long that, if you will, God forgets you. And I'll tell you today that the, one of the greatest altars in your life is the altar of worship praise and thanksgiving. I want us to stand today. There's so many ways we could go about this. I, so many messages I could preach on worship. So many messages I could preach on praise. and There could be some hype and we could shout and we could dance and we could run the aisles. But I so enjoyed last Sunday night as that somebody happened once and then somebody else went and did it and pretty soon this entire place was filled with altars of praise and thanksgiving. And last Sunday night, the presence of God was here because He remembers the worshipers. He blesses the worshipers. And so I want us just to kind of take a moment on a Sunday morning. I don't know what God's going to have in store tonight. I don't know what songs. I haven't even yet looked at the schedule. I don't even know what songs are going to be sung. But if you want the presence of God, if you need God to remember you, if you need God to touch you, then you ought to make an altar of worship right now. And then watch the blessings of God come this afternoon and tonight. And so I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you that, that for this day, for this time, you're going to have to get out of your pew. I want you to come down to the front or at least as close to the front as you can get. And I want you to, for some of us, it's probably going to mean you're going to kneel down can't kneel, maybe you can sit. If you can't sit, I understand. But I want you to begin to make an altar of praise and worship. A generous offer. A generous offering. A generous altar. One that, that you don't have to give. I don't want the patty cake praises. I don't want the now you, I lay me down to sleep. I want that praise that you want to give. Oh yeah, you've come through a storm, absolutely. But I want that generous praise to begin to come. And I tell you right now, if you'll do that, it will get God's attention. Would you come as our team begins to pray, play, begin to sing? Would you come right now? I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you. Withholding nothing. Holding nothing, I surrender.